recent research done by the University of Stellenbosch. Now, according to the research, children under the age of 10 are least susceptible to COVID-19 and they should go back to school first. On the line to us now, Dr. Nick Spall, who's Senior Research Fellow at the Research and Socioeconomic Policy Group at Stellenbosch University. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Hi, yes. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Spall, you say um, uh, the question of when and how children should return to school depends on three main points. Please explain those to us. Sure thing. Um, So, South Africa is not the only country um, that's facing the COVID crisis, and a lot of other countries uh, have a much bigger infection rate or a much larger number of people that have been infected, so we can learn a lot of lessons from them. Uh, So what I did in this policy brief was to summarize the research that's coming out of Iceland, um, China, South Korea, Germany, uh, Japan. There are a number of different countries that have looked at how the infection is spreading, who is catching it, um, and what is the best way to limit the spread of the infection. And one of the emerging findings, which I think we were all very happy about, is that children don't seem to catch this infection um, as, as easily as adults they're far less likely to catch the infection and they're also far less likely to transmit the infection even when they, uh, even when they do get it. Um, so to summarize the work, I mean, I, 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 as I said in the paper, children aged 0 to 10 years old are considerably less likely to get uh, infected, both from other children as well as from adults, and they're also less likely to transmit the virus uh, to their parents or to their teachers. Uh, and there's almost there's very, very, very few documented cases of children getting severely ill or dying. It almost never happens. Dr. Spall, as you can imagine, um, there's, of course, high, a heightened sense of um, anxiety amongst parents uh, thinking about this uh, disease that's killing people and then thinking about sending their most vulnerable kids uh, back to school first. And um, at the back of that, we've heard reports that three children have died from a rare syndrome, possibly, possibly linked to COVID-19 in the UK. And... When you hear reports like those, almost refuting what you are telling us, um, you know, what should it be that deforms, uh, that informs policy decisions? Yeah. Um, so I think that the, it's what you've mentioned in the UK. There's also some cases uh, in um, New York and the US of something called the Kawasaki uh, illness that some children have also caught and people think that it might be linked to COVID-19. Um, so it's not that... Uh, it's absolutely impossible uh, for children to get this. There are instances of children uh, catching COVID-19, and there are instances, very, very few, you know, we're talking less than 50 in the whole world, uh, of children that have actually died from less, that are aged less than 10 that have died from COVID-19. But I think we need to put this in perspective of other uh, extremely, extremely, extremely rare diseases that we don't shut down schools for. Um, so, I mean, one of, the, one of the epidemiologists from the UK, and I'm just quoting from his study here where he says, severe COVID-19 is as rare as many other serious infection syndromes in children that do not cause schools to be shut. So we're talking less than, you know, 0.002% um, of children that are getting infected with this. Uh, there are other diseases that they are more likely to get that are much more severe and are more likely to kill them than COVID-19. And yet we're not shutting schools because of those. So I think that parents can rest assured that if they have children between the ages of zero and 10, 
that it's exceedingly unlikely that those children uh, will get COVID-19. And even when they do get them, they seem to only have very mild symptoms. Um, so earlier uh, last week, we saw that the, the chief health official uh, in Switzerland said that uh, grandparents can now hug their children um, if they or their grandchildren if they are under the age of 10 uh, as being the official policy. Uh, and in Spain, they've opened, they said that all children under the age, I think it was of 15, can now play outside. Um, and a number of schools around the world are also opening their schools again as this emerging evidence is coming out. Uh, so in South Africa at the moment, there have been no deaths whatsoever um, amongst children. Uh, and I think this is something else that, uh, that was reported in the policy brief. Um, and of uh, the 3,144 infections that exist in South Africa, only 14 uh, were amongst children aged 0 to 9%. So that's 0.3% of people that have been infected with COVID-19 in South Africa um, are under the age of 10. So it's exceedingly, exceedingly small. Exceedingly small, but it's going to be a very hard sell to parents who've had a country under lockdown, Dr. Spohr. Um, I think that's true. I think that the uh, one of the concerns that a lot of people have um, is that it's not just middle-class parents who are deciding whether to send their kids back to school. Uh, it's also parents that are facing hunger at home that don't have the resources uh, to pay for food for their kids, that 9 million kids would otherwise be getting a school meal um, if they were back at school. Um, there's also issues of parents that can't go back to work because they're caring for very young children and therefore can't earn an income. So it's very difficult to open the economy if we don't also allow children to go back to school. Uh, and I think that because they are at such low risk that it seems almost impossible for them to catch this uh, disease, particularly the youngest children, it makes sense for the youngest children to go back first. Uh, when you asked about those three reasons, the one is that they are so unlikely to get it, but the second one is that they have the highest childcare burden. So if you've got a 16-year-old child or a 13-year-old child, it's possible that you might leave them at home if you go to work and they would be able to manage themselves. That's impossible for a 5- or a 6-year-old. Uh, so it's not possible for parents to go back to work if they have very young children. Uh, and unless schools reopen, uh, they, they basically won't be able to go back to work. And just finally, given that we're still learning about this COVID-19 as we go along, how exhaustive are these uh, research findings? And, and what is the likelihood of something changing somewhere along the line again and a government finding itself with um, class lawsuits, for example, if you have a huge number of children falling ill? Yeah. Um, so I think that the, um, the research does seem to be pretty consistent. I mean, there's, uh, there are at least 30 different studies that are all pointing to the exact same thing. And this is actually the reason why I wrote the policy brief, is it seems that there's this uh, emerging consensus in the research literature that's pointing to the fact that children uh, almost never get infected. Uh, and this has been true of all of the, the countries that we've been looking at. The one caveat that we will put on that is that most of these are wealthy countries. Uh, so the list of countries that I read out to you earlier, um, there are only a, a very few that would be described as middle-income or low-income countries, and that's because the virus is predominantly has been spread in high-income countries uh, so far. So the question about whether children that have compromised immune systems or, are that, or that are HIV positive or who have nutritional deficiencies, it's possible that they might have a higher susceptibility to something like COVID-19 
Uh, that being said, the existing data that has already been collected in South Africa points to the fact that we are showing the exact same age distribution as other countries. So even though that the data is, uh, the research is coming from these wealthy countries, our initial COVID data is following the exact same trajectory um, as those countries. So I don't think we should be um, overly confident and sure and say this is absolutely guaranteed. Um, nothing is guaranteed. And they, as you say, new research could come out pointing to other findings. Uh, but we also need to accept that the lockdown as it's currently being imposed is also having serious consequences in the lives of children. Um, and then if we don't find ways of, of kind of supporting these children during the lockdown uh, and, and allowing their families to earn an income and provide food for them, it's very possible that the additional costs of the lockdown are going to be much more severe than things like um, not being able to go to school. This really is my final question, Dr. Spall. So uh, do we know how many children have been tested overall in South Africa? And with regard to that point about uh, comorbidities, do we know uh, in terms of demographic breakdown where these children, who they are and where they were tested? So there's only limited information that's been released from the Department uh, of Health on um, the age of those that have been infected and the age of those that have died um, from COVID-19 in South Africa. So that's the only age-related data that I've seen. Uh, We don't have detailed age breakdown data like you've just uh, asked for uh, by age. So we don't know how many um, have been tested, how many children have been tested But we do know that um, the infection rates are significantly lower um, for for those that are under the age of 10. Uh, As I said, only 0.3% seem to get it. And we also know that internationally, um, even when children do get it, they they show very mild symptoms uh, and almost never get severely ill from it. Dr. Nick Spall, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, Dr. Spall is a senior research fellow at the Research on Socioeconomic Policy Group at Stellenbosch University.